Welcome to Gradcast. I'm Callum. I'm Krishna. All the do's and don'ts of being a grad. This time on Gradcast. Often the cultural contribution and the lived experience and the value that First Nations people bring to the APS isn't always heard or recognised or valued. Um, but I'm motivated to continue working toward improving outcomes for First Nations communities. The particular challenges for Indigenous graduates and the chance to make a difference. I think for me, I might still be junior in my career, but I do have a seat at the table in the public service and my voice is heard. And a bit of a milestone. I think I'm like coming out close to the the six-month mark of the... Uh, of the whole grad program. So that's Yay. sort of a, a big milestone. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Early for an ovation, but why not? It's Gradcast with Krishna and Callum. Hello and welcome to episode seven of Gradcast. My name is Callum. I'm one of the hosts and I'm joined here by my co-host Krishna. Krishna, how have you been or what have you been up to uh, since the end of the financial year. Yeah, busy time for a few agencies. Not all agencies, Callum, and I don't think for you, luckily, you're a grad, so you get to get not face all of that nasty um, receding, invoicing, all the boring bits of, you know, wrapping up a financial year, but you'll experience it at some point. But yeah, just same old of cleaning things up, resetting for the new year, setting all our goals. For a lot of public servants, it also means you've reached the end of um, one of your annual cycles. You're reviewing a lot of your individual work plans with your manager, checking your performance levels, um, hopefully getting promoted um, like most of the public servants out there. So yeah, busy time. And then in the middle of it, obviously, NADOC week as well. So lots of celebrating, lots of delicious morning teas, um, just celebrating First Nations people and the history that they um, share in this beautiful country. So yeah, lots of lots of things going on at the moment. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, thinking about NADOC week, um, for this episode, we are going to be talking about First Nations people in the Australian public service and particularly focusing on the National Indigenous Australians Agency and the work they're doing and the experiences of graduates in that agency as well. Daura Nuna, Daura Nunawal, Yangu Nalimanyin, Dunimanyin, Nunawal Wari, Daura Wari, Dindi Wangirilinjinyin. This is Nunawal Country. Today we are all meeting together on Nunawal Country. We acknowledge and pay our respects to the elders. To talk about the NIAA graduate program, we have Indy Lowe joining us from NIAA. So Indy started as a graduate with NIAA and is now working with that agency. Indy, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Uh, What's your role and how long have you been with the NIAA? Sure. So um, my name's Indy Lowe. I'm a quarry from my Pickerong mob down in southwest Victoria. And I was a 2021 grad at NIAA and I've been in the agency for about 18 months. So firstly, I'd like to acknowledge country here on Ngunnawal land and I'd like to pay my respects to elders past, present and any First Nations brothers and sisters listening here today. So my current role, I'm currently a policy advisor in NIAA's land branch. I'm working in a task force to establish an Aboriginal controlled corporation in the NT called the Northern Territory Aboriginal Investment Corporation. 
And for the first time, NT traditional owners will have control of decisions on how federal grants under the Aboriginal's benefits account will be used. So they'll have the power to invest in Aboriginal businesses, commercial projects like aquaculture or agriculture, um, and support community projects like art centres and youth centres. Love that. And that's a long time coming because um, I think from what I know, countries like Dubai and a lot of other countries do acknowledge, you know, the traditional custodians and give them those special rights on being able to make the decisions on what happens on land that has essentially been theirs for thousands of years. So love what you're doing. Um, just wanted to take a step back and ask you also what attracted you to the public service and also um, the NIAA grad program in particular. And is there anything you'd like to share with potentially future applicants? Yeah, sure. So at the time I applied, I was living in Melbourne and I was probably in my second or third lockdown of 2020. And I was definitely interested in a change. So um, I've also also wanted to work in government policy and Indigenous affairs. And I saw the ad for the NIAA graduate program come up and I thought I'd apply. Um, I think I graduated from uni and I still didn't know what kind of profession I wanted to end up in, but I was interested in joining the public service because of the breadth of opportunities. Um, my dad works in education in the Victorian public service and I've also always had a passion for education and Indigenous history. And I joined NIAA with the intention to work in education policy, but I actually found a really interest in economic policy and land rights. And I think that's the real value about graduate programs because you get to dip your toe in various things and test the waters before you really commit to any particular um, position or special specialty. Um, I also don't want to be cliche because I think the ability to contribute to change in public policy attracted me to a public service career, um, especially as a First Nations person. Um, I think the biggest challenge for me personally was the hesitancy of moving away from home and moving to Canberra. Um, one of the challenges is trying to gain experience and move up the public service is that you have to be located in Canberra to access those opportunities, which is a shame, but I think things are slowly changing. My team is extremely supportive of me and my career development. Um, I found my people in the graduate cohort and they've been a fabulous support to me and even after the program now. So yeah, I'm really glad that I made the jump and it worked out for me anyway. Thanks for sharing about that experience. Andy, how has a career in the public service allowed you to grow personally and also what sort of impact has it allowed you to have uh, for your community through this role? Sure. So I think for me, the public service has opened up opportunities that I never expected I would have had. I have felt privileged to have been a part of the graduate program because um, I had that opportunity to work in different policy areas. I think as a junior officer, it's definitely harder to achieve a real impact for um, at the lower levels of public service. But often the cultural contribution and the lived experience and the value that First Nations people bring to the APS isn't always heard or recognised or valued. Um, but I'm motivated to continue working toward improving outcomes for First Nations communities. I think my favourite part about my current role now is recognising the contribution I do make to self-determination and self-determination is something communities have been demanding for a long time, like you mentioned earlier. Um, I think without self-determination, it's not possible for First Nations communities to fully overcome the legacy of colonisation and dispossession. I think, however, working at NIAA, you have the benefit of getting exposure to different policy roles as we cover everything from housing, education, health and justice um, without having to change departments. So that's a real benefit. 
um, career-wise and experience-wise. I think over my time in the graduate program, I actually did three rotations and I also did a secondment to Services Australia to help with COVID payments during Canberra's lockdown last year. Um, I chose each of my rotations based on things I didn't have much of a background in, but I thought would interest me anyway. And it actually turned out for the best because I'm now working full-time in one of the teams I did a placement in and I'm surrounded by really clever people um, and kind people who are interested in NRAA's vision. Um, I've also had the opportunity to take up formal training and informal training, um, you know, many short courses or diplomas, but I was recently accepted into the Indigenous Development and Employment Program, which provides mentoring for from First Nations leaders sorry, and elders and provides access to a nationwide First Nations networks, which I'm really excited about. And you've already touched on the whole angle of... Um you know, Indigenous voices not being at the forefront as much as we would want in the public service. Is there anything else you want to add on representation of young Indigenous people in the public service, how you feel it's changing or has it changed at all in your opinion over mm. time, especially with you being a part of the service now? And um, what sort of programs or sort of initiatives do you think need to exist or, or do exist that you would like to share with our listeners? Yeah, sure. So... While I've only been at NIAA for 18 months, I did actually start my public service career in about 2017. So I have seen some of those changes in representation from another department. Um, but it is generally hard to compare APS departments to NIAA. Um, we have an unprecedented number of staff who identify as First Nations people. And it is one of the things that drew me to NIAA in the first place. I think just under 25% of our agency identifies, which is massive. Mm. Um, for example, our CEO is a Yinjin Bardi woman. Our deputy CEO is a Bundjalung, Torres Strait and South Pacific Islander woman. We have multiple First Nations SES people and I have multiple First Nations peers. So um, also in our minister, Minister Linda Burney, she's a Wiradjuri woman. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is we've never had so much representation. Yeah. And I think it's really exciting. For me anyway, um, I think it's important to have that kind of representation in the organisation, not only as in influential leaders shaping policy for First Nations people, but also for me and my peers to see that representation of people, our people in our leadership. Um, at my previous department, I didn't have that kind of leadership, so it was hard for me to visualise and strive for those kinds of roles. Um, but I'm now surrounded by intelligent and respected leaders of our community who are representing our communities. So I think it's reassuring for First Nations people and First Nations APS employees. But I would like to say again that I can't compare NIAA and my experience to other First Nations staff that might be in other departments. Um, I think there's still work to be done to increase representation in mainstream agencies because all Commonwealth agencies have a responsibility to contribute yeah, to absolutely. the Closing the Gap priorities. But from what I'm hearing, NIA is definitely leading the is the champion of all the agencies in terms of leading the change and being leading by example. So sure. yeah, we should all be turning to NIAA to learn from them, all of our agencies. Yeah, for sure. I guess there could also be some factors which uh, maybe push Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people away from the APS, or maybe make them make a conscious decision not to join the APS. Um, I guess it could be lack of representation, bad past experiences families not being supportive of the government of the day, or maybe just being cautious about the future. Um, 
yeah, in your experience, what are your thoughts on these factors? Um, how much of an impact do you think they have? First Nations communities have had a long history of not being able to place their trust in government. Um, I think considerations around joining the APS is entirely up to each individual and their values. Um, I think there are legitimate places in this country for activism and there are legitimate places for policy policymakers. For me, I think where I best spend my effort is within the system and within the public service where I can contribute to policy decisions and I can shape or influence priorities within the government of the day. Um, for others, the best place they might spend their time is as an activist outside the government lobbying for changes and keeping government accountable. Um, I just think it's about understanding your values and leaning into your strengths and passions. Um, while others might agree that seeing change in government is slow and achieving real outcomes for communities is easier outside government, I think government policy has a profound impact on the lives of all Australians, but especially First Nations communities. And we have an ability to contribute to social policy in a way that can only be achieved in the public service. I think sometimes First Nations people think they have to get into Indigenous affairs or join an Indigenous agency if they want to work in government. But as I said earlier, it is the responsibility of all agencies to service all people, including First Nations people. And the majority of funding and programs do come from those mainstream agencies. So it's important to have that First Nations representation in those organisations, shaping that policy and providing that perspective. NIAA and other Commonwealth agencies have responsibility for national policy decisions as well, but often this means that people in Canberra might be creating policies or programs uh, without having ever visited a place that it's going to affect. Um, we know that First Nations culture and communities are not homogenous, and without seeing the importance of cultural competency and implementing First Nations perspectives into um, policies, you, you really risk not meeting the needs of community and perpetuating harm that has happened in the past. Um, the APS has the ability to improve the lives of all First Nations people, but I think the flip side to that is there's a very small line between helping and harming, mm -hmm. and people can have the greatest of intentions, but if they haven't put in the work to understand the cultures and the histories, then the harm to those communities can be perpetuated for decades, and it has been seen time and time again, and we're still trying to come out of that. Mm -hmm. I think for me, I might still be junior in my career, but I do have a seat at the table in the public service, and my voice is heard. Um, my team respects my input and my contribution to First Nations perspectives. Um, however, not everyone will feel this way. Um, I'm just lucky to have landed a really awesome team who share my values. Um, I think if you're in a position where your contribution or perspectives are not recognised, reach out to other First Nations mob in your agency or even in other agencies. Chances are they've definitely been through it before and it's important to lean on your peers for that support. Um, because I think it's fundamental for First Nations representation at all levels and at all tables around government decision-making policies, not just First Nation policies, but policies that affect all people. Having worked in the Indigenous engagement space myself um, at Parliament House, I think one of my most memorable moments have quickly become the smoking ceremony that we saw um, at the opening of the recent Parliament House, which I thought was really special. It's never been done before in a long time, and I thought that was a step in the right direction, again, on acknowledging the culture and being an ally, but again, you know, letting the people sort of walk their path on their own at their own pace yeah, so have there been any certain memorable moments for you across your um, time in the public service 
that you'd like to share with us? I think one of the benefits of the NIAA grab program um, is that you do get to do a regional rotation um, if you want. And so I was one of the lucky ones that got to visit the Kimberley office offices oh, wow. in the WA. That's awesome. Yeah, it was amazing, beautiful place up there. Um, so I spent just under three months working in Broome, Derby and Kununurra offices, which um, I guess their role is a strong community engagement role, which is very different from Canberra, but in some ways even more important. Um, it was an amazing opportunity to see how the public service operates on the ground in regional and remote areas. And we rely so heavily on our regional colleagues who have an in-depth knowledge about people in place. Um, I was really impressed by the agency's relationship with community members on the ground. And I think for me, um, one of those rewarding moments was when um, we helped a community member set up a landscaping business in the remote Kimberley. And I just can picture the flow on effects that that will have for him and his community. I think that opportunity um, doesn't come for everyone. I was really lucky being a part of the graduate program where that is embedded into the program, but um, it was well worth the experience. And if you ever get an opportunity to do something like that, I, I would really recommend it. What an exciting opportunity. That sounds awesome. I had the best time, yeah. How <laughs> oh, good. You're listening to GradCast. Proudly supported by the Commonwealth Superannuation Corporation, CSC. Indy, wanted to ask a question about, um, like, I guess, cultural awareness and definitely thinking that, um, yeah, cultural awareness uh, in the public about First Nations communities and histories uh, is something that, I guess, is always needing more work and continuous work. What would you say to people who maybe want to learn more about First Nations communities and yeah. histories? Are there things they can do to improve uh, cultural awareness or to learn more about First Nations people? For us, we've come a long way as a nation and we're seeing more education and truth-telling in schools and the broader public in general, but there's still a fair amount of ignorance and denial. Um, I also think there's a strong expectation that First Nations people, both in the APS and the broader public, um, need to educate their colleagues on historical or ongoing traumas, and I think um, that can be quite unfair. Um, cultural load is the additional workload borne by First Nations people and it often occurs in the workplace. Um, it's where an extra expectation on First Nations people that non-Indigenous people um, don't have to bear. Um, it might be something like extra work tasks like hosting a NAIDOC week or expectations to educate non-Indigenous colleagues about First Nations culture or expectations to talk on behalf of all First Nations people. And I'm sure other people of colour can definitely relate to those kinds of cultural loads. Um, our people are often not compensated for their time or burden of fulfilling these expectations. And I've seen firsthand local community organisations calling up elders requesting a half-day tour of culturally significant sites with less than a day's notice and no compensation for that time or knowledge. And that's a real shame. So I think a way that people can help with sharing this load is to educate yourself where you can. Um, the first step is to seek guidance from reputable, reputable sources. There are plenty of free resources online um, and also First Nations created resources like NITV. There are also plenty of First Nations educators and influencers and advocates and activists who have online presences and platforms, particularly for that reason. Um, I think it's about doing the research and looking into it for yourself. I think remember to listen and be open. 
um, before you ask. I think for me anyway, before you ask a First Nations person for their perspective on something, ensure you have a genuine relationship with that person and ask their permission. Um, I think it gives them an opportunity to say no if it's something they're not comfortable talking about. Um, I can't count how many times I've been asked to speak on behalf of all First Nations people or to educate someone on the stolen generation or changing the date or racism in general, you know, any of those um, really triggering things. I think these are extremely traumatic topics for our people and it's not our responsibility to educate people on that. But on the flip side, obviously First Nations voices and first-hand perspectives are fundamental to these conversations, um, but not everyone is prepared to share that experience on the matter. So I think it's important to um, seek that permission. At NIAA, we have a fabulous program called Footprints. Um, it's a continuous cultural learning and development framework, which is intended to help staff strengthen their cultural competency um, the one thing I love about that program is it's designed with the intent that it's everyone's responsibility to share that load on education and knowledge sharing. Mm. And it's about all diverse cultures, not just First Nations people. Um, in saying that, I, I just want to reiterate that we still need to see more non-Indigenous staff driving involvement and valuing the importance of such programs running across the APS. But I think it's something that other agencies could definitely look into as well because it's been a great success at NIAA. just want to change gears a little bit to help our future applicants better prepare themselves. Um, can you share with us the difference in your preparation for your previous APS roles and the NIAA interview? I think for me, I don't want to scare anyone away from applying for opportunities, but I prepped really hard. <laughs> and I think that's just my nature. I don't like surprises. I don't like being underprepared. I think um, perhaps it's the burden that First Nations people have to work twice as hard to be considered half as good. So I've always carried that with me and overcompensated. Um, it can definitely be a real burden, and I'm sure First Nations brothers and sisters probably can relate to that. Um, there is a knack to applying for APS jobs and um, APS interviews. I think there are some resources you can look into online that really helped me. Um, for example, the APSC's website, they've got something called the Integrated Learning System. Um, so some of the practical things I did were um, the APSC has five integrated leading systems. So I prepped a work example that would cover each of those five because the questions are, yeah, the questions are generally based on those um, ILS. So you're probably going to be asked something around, around that. And that really helped with um, my preparation. Uh, also use the STAR method um, when going through each behavioural question. Uh, I think... Most grad programs have the some sort of psychometric test or something like that, some online test. And so when I did it for the NIAA program, I, um, me over-preparing again, uh, Googled the provider that they were using okay. <laughs> and to see what their platform was like and see what sure. kind of testing they did or, like, if they had any practice ones I could try out to get familiar with or YouTube videos just to see how it worked. Um but I also think just some simple things like getting someone you trust to look over your application mm. and your resume with some fresh eyes. They might be able to point out typos or things that don't make sense that you've missed because I know in application mode, like you're just so embedded in um, embedded in writing your application. It's, some, it's very easy to miss these things when you've got your head in it. 
a lot of graduates um, who are applying for these programs are straight out of uni, um, might not have had professional jobs, or they've mm. had you know experience in the hospitality industry, retail industry, things like mm. that. So from an angle of you know candidates applying for the NIAA program, um, what kind of examples can they use in their application, and can they talk about their heritage as an example of any lived experiences as well? Would that support their application? Yeah, for sure. I definitely, I definitely think those kinds of experiences, of, of course, you know, most people applying for graduate programs don't have professional corporate working in an office experience. So it is hard to draw on things like that. But I think um, if you look back to perhaps any university um, assignments you did where you might have worked as a group, um, there's lovely group assignments that we all mm. love so much. Um, I, I definitely think there are probably skills and experiences in those scenes that you could draw upon for any interview yeah. questions. Um, I also think, yeah, any hospitality jobs, they still have merit. Um, they're customer facing, being able to work with um, a team in hospitality and work with customers is still a really important aspect at NIAA. Um, all of our roles do have some kind of engagement with First Nations people. So it's really important to see um, applicants' cultural competency. So that's something that they'll have to consider when applying for the role because that's something that would be assessed upon. Um, so I think definitely drawing upon your own experiences, um, your own backgrounds, um, experiences you've had engaging with other First Nations people and with um, First Nations culture, I definitely think drawing upon that would really strengthen your application as well. Lots of helpful tips there, I think, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks for sharing those, those tips from your experience. As we close, just wanted to ask um, you, what have you got planned next professionally, personally? Are there any exciting projects that you're working on in the NIAA that you can talk about or that you'd like to share? I think for me, I'm passionate about my space, so there's not too much going on personally. <laughs> Bit of a workaholic sometimes. Um, I think uh, government has some really exciting policies and priorities coming up, which is going to generate some really interesting work that I wouldn't mind getting involved in, like truth-telling, for example. Um, but for the moment, I'm going to stay in the task force that I'm in. I'd really like to see that project out and keep contributing to that self-determination. Um, I am considering a move up north, perhaps, uh, to continue my work there if there are opportunities for me to do so. Um, Otherwise, I think I'll just continue to keep learning and growing from my team. I've got so much to learn from them and the agency in general. I think you're a self-confessing workaholic. You've <laughs> overplanned your applications. Oh, you yeah. You moved from Melbourne to Canberra. You want to move back up north. There's a lot going on. So I think for all of our listeners, Indy is the perfect person to base your interview <laughs> off. And any tips she's given you are above and beyond. So you should be able to yeah. get in and crack the program because, yeah, she has come well prepared for this interview and she's come well prepared for, her, you know, acing her public service career. So thank you so much That's for okay. joining us today, yeah. Indy. Yeah, I would like to also reach out to any First Nations mob who are applying. Hit me up on LinkedIn or something. I'm more than happy to help them through the um, application process because it is very daunting. But like I said, we need that representation. So more than happy to help. Yeah, thanks again, Indy. It's been great having you on the show. Thanks so much, guys. 
I really enjoyed having that conversation with Indy. There was lots uh, that I really liked and lots to talk about. Krishna, what were your reflections? What did you enjoy from that interview? Yeah, I loved it. And I really liked some of the resources that she shared with all of us as well. Um, The Footprints resource being one of them. So for um, our listeners who don't know what Footprints is or who want to learn more, Footprints is a foundational e-learning course that you can find online on respecting and understanding Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders' peoples and cultures for the APS. So it might be a handy-dandy tool for some of our incoming grads. Um, Really loved that and really loved how she went over and above in prepping for an interview. can never be um, too prepared because all graduate programs, as you know, super competitive. So, yeah, great, great conversation. What did you take away from that, Callum? Yeah, well, talking about interviews, like it was really helpful that Indy talked about, um, yeah, just the way that she prepared for interviews. I thought that was, um, yeah, quite insightful. And she mentioned STAR. Of course, we've had some good conversations here on Gradcast about the STAR method. Uh, So if you haven't heard some of our previous episodes, look up episode with uh, Lisa Toza or with Mm. Tim Crowden where they talked about how to nail a STAR interview. But yeah, I also just really enjoyed hearing about Indy's experiences, like doing the regional rotation. That sounded amazing. What a fantastic experience. Yeah. So what have you got going on in your life at the moment, Callum? Yeah, well, that's right. I sort of... Um, maybe your life is a bit too personal. Let's start with the well, grad I'll program with and then the I'll ask program. you about Sure. Life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I'm like coming up close to the, the six month mark of the... Uh, of the whole grad program. So that's Yay. sort of a, a, a big milestone. Yeah, Callum. that's right. <laughs> um, in terms of my rotation, so I'm like uh, two months out of, out of three for my current rotation, which is in the risk team. So um, yeah, sort of wrapping that up, I've uh, been working on some really interesting projects, but also sort of starting to think about mm-hmm. where to go next and, and have those sort of conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so definitely an exciting time. And also uh, at CSC in our grad program, working on a, a year long project with the other grads, so yeah, just great to be able to sort of collaborate with the other grads, have those experiences as well. It's um, it's all really exciting stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And time flies when you're on your grad program, honestly. The year's yeah. going to go by so quickly. I can't believe you're already six months in. That's crazy. I know, it sure so, is. So yeah, that's really exciting. Good for you. Yeah. Um, up next, we are going to be doing a mini episode and continuing this important conversation. Um, we will be releasing the mini episode two weeks from now, and we will be having this conversation with another First Nations woman, Taryn Backus. So Taryn started as a graduate and has grown up the ranks and is currently working as an Indigenous liaison officer. So feel free to write in to us on any questions you might have um, for us to ask Taryn as well before we have a chat with her. And make sure to tune into this episode uh, so you can understand how to grow your career after the graduate program as well. And make sure to follow us uh, on your favorite podcast listening apps, social media. Uh, the handle is uh, Gradcast Podcast. And you can also write to us with your questions and topic ideas and maybe any questions you might have for Taryn at hello at gradcast.com.au or you can even write to us on our LinkedIn or Instagram or any of our social media pages because we're always keeping an eye on them and we will actually um, ask the questions you ask us. So do write in. And that's all for this episode. Thanks so much for joining me, Callum. And thank you all for listening. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening, everyone. Gradcast is produced by Content Group on Ngunnawal land in Canberra. It's supported by the Commonwealth Superannuation Corporation, CSC. Check us out online and we'll be back soon, wherever you get your podcasts.